All right. Well, our text this morning actually is from Deuteronomy chapter 14. And I know in the bulletin it said verse 6. If anybody looked at it early, you were probably confused. I was this morning a little confused because it's actually verse 26. So chapter 14, verse 26, and this is what it says. In uh, a portion of the law regarding tithe money. And spend the money for whatever you desire oxen or sheep or wine or strong drink, whatever your appetite craves. And you shall eat there before the Lord your God and rejoice, you and your household. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for um, your long memory and all of the promises that you have made that you have fulfilled in Jesus Christ. We thank you for what you have chosen to to forget, and that is our sin. You don't act like it didn't happen. You choose to forget it. You choose to never bring it up. You choose instead to rejoice in us and your son. We pray, Lord God, that as you do that, as you sing over us with your praises, as you delight in us as your children, that we in turn would delight in you as our father. We thank you for this morning, and we pray, Lord, that you would comfort and convict each of us just as we need, and that you would go before us and give us clarity and understanding as we hear your word. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, there was a, a pastor giving his annual parochial report to the church. And in that report, there was an, this item, nine persons lost at sea. <laughs> now, the congregation was shocked and amazed at this. And the pastor said, well, 11 persons requested prayers for those going to sea, and only two asked for me to give thanks for a safe return. So I assume that the other nine were lost at sea. <laughs> right? Nobody, nobody wanted to give thanks for, the, for those nine, and so the assumption is they're somewhere in Davy Jones' locker. Now, this anecdote serves as an important point. We remember God, don't we? Well, of course we do. We always do. When in distress, when we need comfort, we petition him for a redress of grievances and for protection, but we tend to miss the thank you part. How often do we give thanks as a prayer? How often do we say, oh, you know, I was desperate yesterday and I prayed like 50 times. And, and then what? he answers the prayer, life moves on, and then we just move on to the next distress, the next need for comfort. America sits down to feast on Thursday. Now, for most families, given the brokenness and godlessness of American homes, it's more about duty than the giving thanks. A friend of mine who I grew up with, he always faithfully comes home at, uh, on Thanksgiving. Right? He goes and he buys the turkey. He's all, they're all about the traditions. And he does it so that he doesn't have to hear from his parents for a while. I mean, he does it out of duty. He comes, he checks the box, he spends the money to travel up here. And then it sort of gets him, he says, gets him off from having to come back at Christmas time. <laughs> right? And this is how a lot of people, a lot of people see it. Now, I know all homes aren't this cynical and dark as I'm going to describe, but in my own family, we've literally had to have certain people come in shifts. Uh, there are people who come from my extended family in the morning, and they clear out of there uh, after breakfast because other people are coming in the afternoon, and we do not. They don't. We don't want those two groups of people in the same home. <laughs> right? It's literally shifts. We've also had Thanksgivings where uh, it's a smaller guest list, generally the people who are really going to you know, and get engaged with the, the event. And, and those are always far more pleasant, right? Not everybody has homes like that where people come in ships, I understand. But what are most American homes like? 
right? With the fatherlessness, the godlessness, the ingratitude. What are most people's Thanksgiving? It's so much cynicism. The other thing that there is a lot of is sentimental goo. A lot of sentimental goo. I, I actually think Thanksgiving is even more sentimental to people than Christmas is. Christmas at least retains some confused Christian symbolism. And, I mean, Christmas, you know, that's usually one of the two times people go to church. So, I, I mean, Christmas, there's usually some, people get some sense of understanding why they're doing it. It has something to do with God. So let's go to church, right? A bunch of unbelievers go to church. But Thanksgiving, what is that all about besides, hey, I've got to go and see mom and dad? As people gather around tables for one day with people that they spend the rest of their year avoiding, and the prescribed menu. Have you, have you guys, my mom has tried this several times, to serve fish. This is hilarious. Have you ever been around the person who's like, you know what I'm going to do is I'm going to serve salmon. And everybody kind of freaks out. Amen, Amen sister. Now, I don't want to rain on anyone's parade, but the menu, the actual menu for the first Thanksgiving included fish because uh, they were there in abundance and venison and some elk or something and lots of uh, ducks. But, but right, what would happen if somebody messed with the green bean casserole, right? When you, I mean, you go to any, anybody's home. I've been to Thanksgivings, family members, friends, and it's always, you know, there's a predictable menu. There's other funny things, right? There's some vague... We're there to celebrate some sort of vague myth about America's genesis. And I can't believe, actually, given what they've done to um, Columbus Day, right? It's Indigenous People Day now. Because there's no way we should celebrate, you know, all that white privilege. I can't believe woke America keeps Thanksgiving around, right? It's such a tradition that even woke America, who's so concerned about race issues and all of that kind of stuff, keeps celebrating it. Because what is it except for a bunch of entitled white guys who came here to steal things from the Indians, right? I, I read this article about, uh, it was written by a British person who was super confused by Thanksgiving. They commonly are over there. And, and that was one of the things. They're like, why are you celebrating a day in which you came and stole everything from the Indians? It's like, well, they're also confused why our pies don't have meat in them, which I agree, actually. It's very confusing. What is Thanksgiving all about? Right? It is, we've, we've been, they've been doing it for as long as everyone in this room has been alive. Where did it come from? How did it start? What is it all about? Now, I've also been at Thanksgivings where um, people, the, the more efficient and self-controlled amongst us, think it's just a lot of excess, right? You can't, right? Why are we having a day where it's okay to eat too much, drink too much, watch too much football? I would argue that you could do too much football, but it seems like a day of overindulgence, right? So then you have these people who are drinking too much because they can't handle the people they're eating with. And then sometimes you have these people over here who just thinks like the whole thing is just inefficient. If it was up to them, right, we would just eat turkey sandwiches and be done with it. <laughs> well, let's go back, way back. I'm sorry, I was a history teacher, so you're going to get history now. This is part of it where the teaching comes before the preaching. Dramatic and significant is the story of the pilgrims. On December 21st, 1620, the voyaging Mayflower dropped anchor in Plymouth Bay, Captain Christopher Jones at her helm. Partially why they chose where they chose is because the pilgrims didn't have enough supplies, and they actually had drank through all their beer and were starting to drink the sailors' rum at a rate that caused the captain to say, just pull over and get these people off of my boat. <laughs> I am not making that up. 
It was a grueling voyage, taking 120-ton capacity ships 66 days to make the perilous crossing. Now, I'm not going to get into it, but that's a really long time, actually, even for, the, even for then. That is a really long trip. It shouldn't take that long. They had a lot of difficulty. There had been disease, anxiety, and childbirth among 102 courageous passengers. They arrived on the bleak New England shore in the middle of winter. Ultimately, half of them died. However, when spring came and the captain of the Mayflower offered free passage to anyone desiring to return, not a single person took them up on the offer. The fidelity of the 41 men, who, still, who while still aboard the Mayflower, had signed the now famous compact, beginning with the words, In ye name of God, amen. Right? They, they wrote a political constitution to govern themselves, and it began with, In ye name of God, amen. These chivalrous souls had dedicated themselves to the total cause of freedom, religious freedom and personal freedom. They had come to, the, to a wilderness to carve out a better way of life. Faith prompted the voyage, faith sustained the pilgrims, and their religious convictions constrained them to raise their voices in praise. Now, these were very much religious people, and, and they saw the coming to America as uh, essentially Israel going into the land. This is why they named them a lot of the first towns were named after towns from the Old Testament, like Salem. That was what Jerusalem was called before it became Jerusalem. It was Salem. So they considered themselves entering in this, into this promised land, driving these unbelieving tribes and, and gods out of the land to take possession of it for Christ. That, that was, in their mind, what they were doing. One historian says the pilgrims made seven times more graves than huts that first year, and yet, and yet, they set aside a day of thanksgiving. So these are very religious people who are losing a lot of stuff. But how did that, right, that's so Christian, that's so white America, that's so much white privilege involved, right? What does, why do we now sit down every year and watch the Redskins uh, play the Detroit Lions? How did we get from that to this? It's a well-established practice. I'm sorry, let me back up. Though it was a well-established practice, it didn't take long for the first president to nationalize the tradition. Okay, now here, here's what I'm going to explain now. There, are, there were a bunch of thanksgivings. The, the fact that they did this, we, we emphasized this one in 1621, but that, it's not unusual. In England, they did it. Anywhere there were Christians, they would, after some providence, or generally after they bring the harvest in, would declare a day of thanksgiving. So when George Washington declared the first Thanksgiving as the first American president, he wasn't like, oh, I'm going to imitate the pilgrims. It was just something that everyone did. But his, his first proclamation as the first president to do it is famous, and it says this, right? Think, think about this in secular America. October, this was October 3rd, 1789. This is what he said. Whereas it is the duty of all nations to acknowledge the providence of Almighty God, to obey his will, to be grateful for his benefits, and humbly to implore his protection and favor. And whereas both houses of Congress have by their joint committee, when did they ever agree on anything, let alone a religious issue? They requested George Washington to recommend to the people of the United States a day of public thanksgiving and prayer to be observed by acknowledging with grateful hearts the many signal favors of Almighty God. <laughs> so I have this book. I have a lot of weird books. But this is a book, actually. It's called The Christian Life and Character of the Civil Institutions of the United States. It's essentially political documents going back to the very beginning 
that, that reference God, that are Christian in nature. And this many of them, this many of them is simply proclamations for Thanksgiving days. That many of them. State governors, state houses, Congress, Continental Congress presidents. Everyone in those days would see the favor of God's hand and declare either they would do days of thanksgiving or days of fasting, national or states. There was one New York governor who declared uh, during his terms in uh, 17... Let me go back. I'm sorry. Where's that guy? Yeah, he declared them in 1817, 1822, 25, 26, and 27, just in the state of New York. This is what he said. Obvious and solemn duty to render the obligations of devout and grateful hearts to Almighty God for the manifold blessings conferred upon us at all times by the gracious dispensations of his providence. The report of the Thanksgiving Day festivities in 1862 includes the following. It was observed that not a sanctuary scarcely in all the land but was vocal with praise and prayer, and in them the ministers of God reviewed the manifold blessings with which God had crowned the year. Abraham Lincoln was the one who declared an, a set national day that to be observed every year perpetually. That's when it started follow, coming all the way. But see, what, what I think actually happened when that happened is like we have a day to give thanks. They set aside this day, which is awesome. But I think part of the problem they didn't realize they were doing is they set aside one day. It used to be before that ministers, governors, state houses, presidents would do it all the time, right? We, uh, the financial market, market crash, we recover. God is very kind to us. Let's have a day of Thanksgiving, right? And in an agrarian society where everything depends on bringing the harvest in, it's no wonder they would do it almost every year. So, so what happened... We can thank Abe Lincoln, not my favorite president for many reasons, but now here we go, we add this to the list, is he set aside one day. Okay, we're not going to give thanks the rest of the time. Essentially, we're going to just do it on that day. And, and look how secular it is. Look how secular it has become. Now, why is that? What, what was read for us in Deuteronomy today? It used to be a day to remember God's goodness. We don't remember God. Right? We've put, taken God out, out of the picture. We don't give thanks to him. And what did I read this morning in the call? Therefore, right, nationally speaking, our hearts are darkened. We, we, we don't remember God. We don't give thanks to him. And so what's happened is we don't, we don't really understand. We don't have him in the land anymore. Now, and, and let's go back to the pilgrims, how they understood the story of America. They were coming to a land to drive out tribes and the false gods. Now, as we forget God... Just like in Israel, when they didn't put away the gods of those tribes, the gods of those tribes became a stumbling block to the people living in the promised land. And they just erected another totem pole at the city hall in Portland. Now, totem poles are a religious symbol, right? So I find it fascinating that as we have forgotten God, as we have forgotten any purpose of of thanksgiving in any way, shape, or form, the gods that inhabited this land before Americans came here are beginning to reemerge. Uh, when I was at King County, I was part of this woke program where we're trying to get everyone in the court to be super woke all the time about everything. They, they literally had established a school. <laughs> I'm not kidding. This is, I'm, it's funny to even say it. Let me be serious. 
They wanted to have this school where people would go and learn about equality and what it should look like. And they actually put it in the hands of an Indian tribe. And so the, 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 this Indian tribe runs this school in Seattle now in which they're teaching everyone to be multidiverse by learning all about this one tribe from Seattle that hardly exists anymore. Their religion, their eating practices. <laughs> and, and so you see here, you see what, what is happening to America. Why do we get together on Thanksgiving? Well, because I have to go see my mom. I kind of like football. We have this, this weird list of foods we're supposed to eat, like cranberries. When else do we ever eat cranberries? But what would Thanksgiving be without cranberries? Right? What, what is all of this about? And it's just a bunch of confused nonsense. Really, what is it? It's a bunch of confused nonsense. And so the question is, how should we treat this day? What is our responsibility on this day called Thanksgiving? Well, since it was originally something that was ours, that was taken from us, I think establishing it on the correct principles, establishing it on the correct morals, establishing it on the correct doctrines is a really good idea. When you sit down to pass the pie around on Thursday, I want you to do it as Bible-believing, thinking Christians, not just because, oh, that's what my parents did. Right? I, we eat exactly the same pie recipe. My, my sweet grandmother, Ruth, may she rest in, in, in peace, passed the recipe on to my wife before she passed on. So I will literally be eating the pie that 120 years ago they were eating in our household still. Right? It's the same recipe. Right? And, and, and how could, right? But is that why we're doing it? No. No. And so there's three things that I want us to think about. Three things that the pilgrims understood, that George Washington understood, that Christians in this country once understood, is that memories and memorials and meals go together. Right? What do we have before us here today? It's a table. And on it is a memorial meal. And it's called the Eucharist. Right? That, it's not called that in the Bible. That's what Christians started to call it after the first generation apostles had passed on. It's called the Eucharist, the Thanksgiving meal. And so if, if the nation is going to sit down and give thanks at a table, who should be showing them how it's done? We should. We should. Memories. Let's talk about memories for a moment. In Ephesians 2.12, we read, Remember that you were at that time separated. Remember. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God and the world. We are commanded again in 2 Timothy 2.8, remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel. But why does God want us to remember? Why is he commanding us to remember? C.S. Lewis wrote in Mere Christianity, but the great thing to remember is that though our feelings come and go, his love for us does not. It is not wearied by our sins or our indifference, and therefore it is quite relentless in its determination that we shall be cured of those sins at whatever cost to us, at whatever cost to him. Remember, it's not about how you feel. Remember that he, the cost at which he, the lengths at which Jesus is willing to go to save you. And if he, right, and it says in Romans, if, if he gives you Jesus, how is he not going to also give you all things? So then once we sit down and we look around and we have all things, because I would say we're a people, comparatively in history, comparatively in the world, that have all things. Is anybody in this room ever wanted for anything? 
Well, I know you've wanted lots of things, but you know what I mean, right? Here in the word of God is his record. Here are his credentials. Should we thank him when when we are in need? Who should we go to? When we receive, who should we go to? The one who has always given us all things. Remember what God has done. Remember what God has done. And the means of remembering are memorials, right? Every week, what do we do? We hold up bread because it's the broken body of Jesus Christ, and we hold up wine because it's his blood, and those are memorials. Now, it's not just a memorial. I'm not, gonna, I'm not making that Zwinglian error where I'm saying it's just bread and wine. But God puts objects in our hands that, that cause us to remember things. He, he's all about memorials. Jesus said, I am the door, I am the light, I am the gate. He said all these things about himself because when you see doors and gates and light, you're supposed to remember him. When you hold the bread and the wine, you're, it's a memorial. You're supposed to remember The Hebrew and Greek words translated as memorial in both the Old and New Testament are derivatives of verbal roots, meaning to remember. A memorial is there so that you remember. For this reason, one cannot fully grasp the significance of the term memorial without first understanding the usage and meaning of the term to remember. We've seen what it looks like in the New Testament, but let's go back to our ancient history. A memorial is an object, institution, or custom established as a reminder of an important person or event in the life of a community. Not individuals, a community. Right? Why does the nation, why did the nation or a state declare a a time of thanksgiving? It's not just individual homes. The whole community ought to go before God and ought to thank him for his graces and his goodness. Although remember is usually understood as simply recalling to mind something from the past, memorial had has that which serves to preserve the memory of something from the past, right? You have a remember, and then you have a memorial. There's more to it than this, than just merely remembering. At the temple, Israelite gratitude is social and liturgical. Memory is not thought of as a mere mental activity, but in close relation to the activity which it gives rise. Here's an example. Malachi 4.4, Israel is told, Remember the law of Moses, my servant. Right? So are they supposed to just sit around and read it? Are they supposed to just sit around and think about it? No, he says remember it by doing it. So memory, to, to remember something, to have a memorial, is to enact, to literally do the thing that you're remembering. Does that make sense? You're given the law, do not steal. And, and you remember it by doing that, by not stealing. Okay, so it's not just a mental exercise. This, this is Christianity 101. We're not just here thinking thoughts. We're here doing things. But we're doing things because, because God has told us to do them. He said, remember. And you remember by doing the thing that he told you to do. Now, this is because this is how God works. In Genesis 8.1, God remembered Noah, it says. <laughs> he remembered Noah in his boat. And so what does that mean? Was God simply sitting in heaven and being like, oh yeah, I put Noah in a giant boat. And now the rain's gone and he's just there in the boat. No, it says he remembered Noah in the boat and then it says he let him out of the boat. So his remembering Noah was action. 
He remembered, and so he acted. And it's the same thing at the beginning of Exodus. He remembered Israel, and he remembers Israel by showing up and kicking the snot out of the Egyptian gods. So his remembering is doing. His remembering is doing. The same thing ha- occurs two other times in, in this regard. Genesis 30, 22, and 1 Samuel 1, 11, He remembers barren women by opening their wombs by giving them children. <laughs> he doesn't just sit in heaven and think, yeah, that girl can't have, uh, I remember, she can't have babies. He remembers, and by remembering, he acts. And, and so God doesn't just want us, I think we're very confused. Paul says, remember, and so we think we just sit and remember. Like it's a mental activity. But it's to physically do something. Physically do something. Memorials um, can also be objects like stones or money, gold or incense, crowns or offerings. Joshua 4.7 describes the setting up of a monument of 12 stones in the midst of the Jordan River because that's where they crossed over. Right? You remember both things that occurred in the past by looking at memorials, but memorials can also be enacting the thing remembered. Uh, Passover meal was like this. The reason they didn't have leaven in the bread was because at the time in Egypt, when they were first celebrating it, they didn't have time for the bread to rise because they were in haste. And so what God does is he says, okay, now what you're going to do is you're going to enact this. You're going to not put leaven in your bread on Passover so that you can remember the haste at which you were leaving Egypt. Turkeys. Let's talk about that for a moment. Why do we eat turkey? Because the land was full of turkeys. Most people don't know this, but Ben Franklin and George Washington had a very sharp disagreement. The letters are awesome to read because George Washington was not happy with Ben Franklin. Everyone loved Ben Franklin. Let's do what Ben Franklin wants to do. And Ben Franklin wants to make the turkey the national bird. And, of course, George Washington's like, how about something a little more warlike? Right? I mean, just think of a turkey. It just stands there. You shoot it. Turkey hunting is super easy hunting. So... Right? We're remembering turkeys. We're, we're eating turkey, and it's supposed to, to cause us to remember something. People came to a land where they didn't have any food, and they, they found abundance. They found this animal that's apparently very easy to shoot. I, I heard Dean and Byron used to tell stories about these kind of turkeys they would hunt, and literally just pick up rocks and, and kill them like with a rock. Like, <laughs> right there. Even I could hunt that way. <laughs> So the pilgrims cross this giant ocean and they're starving and they find birds that are very easy to kill. That's why you're eating a turkey. Why else? I mean, I, I've lived here my whole life. What, here, it would seem like we'd eat salmon. Here, it seems like we'd eat deer. But turkeys. God wants you, by, in, by remembering and participating in it, you're reliving the thing that you're remembering. Old Testament thanksgiving is a communal act of covenant remembrance. It has a forward-looking as it is backward-looking. You're remembering what God did. You're reenacting it so that you, you look forward to the future. He's always taking care of us. He's always fulfilled his promises, and he's going to continue to do so. Though the terminology of ingratitude is not often used, the narratives of Israel often describe their complaints and grumbling in the face of God's gift. Right? Their ingratitude leads them astray just like we had read for us from Romans. Darkened hearts are the result of ingratitude. It's apostasy. It's idolatry. 
to not remember the Lord God, to not enact the things that he has done, to not remember his promises, to not remember how he's fulfilled his promises. So the meal, meals, is the next thing that we're going to talk about. Because, so in, in the Old Testament, they would have rocks, right? They set them up in the middle of the river. The high priest would wear rocks on his shirt, and it, and it had the names of Israel, right, on, on, and grafted on his beautiful clothes. He had, like, jewels, literally with the name of each tribe. And, and it's a memorial stone. So when he walks into the presence of God, they, God would see the stones, and, and he would remember Israel. Right? The same thing, object, um, Noah is given the rainbow. And God says, this is for my remembrance. So when I see this object, I'm going to remember how much I didn't like what I did that time. Right? He repented of flooding the earth, and he wasn't going to do it ever again. And so he set up something to remind himself. Right? And every time he sees a rainbow, he's grieved. And not the way that he's grieved when he sees homosexuals wearing rainbows. He's, he's grieved by seeing a real rainbow because he remembers what it cost humanity, his judgment. And so all of these things okay, are, are memorials, but the most important memorials, the ones that Israel were supposed to participate in every day, were the sacrifices. Because they had a thank offering and a thanksgiving offering. And, and, and you, what you do, as I've already explained in several other sermons, right? they slay the lamb and they eat it, and the priests eat it, and they eat it before God, they offer some to him, and it's this meal. And you did it twice a day. These sacrifices, twice a day, you, they were supposed to slaughter lambs in order to remember God. So, and what are they participating in there, right? Because they're enacting something. What are they enacting? At the time, they didn't understand, but we have come to understand what the lamb represents, what the priests represent, what the blood represents. Right? And, and so their entire Old Testament liturgy was based on Thanksgiving meals. What, what is the New Testament liturgical system based upon? A meal. A meal. Right? Because it's, you're eating bread and you're having wine, but this is the Lamb of God. This is the body of God. This is the blood of God. And so we're enacting, right? Nothing has changed in this regard. The old system and the new system are not that different. Are not that different. It's about table fellowship. But there's more to it than that. Because if you turn to 1 Timothy chapter 4, 1 Timothy chapter 4, I actually marked all these this time. 1 Timothy chapter 4, you read this in verses 4 and 5. For everything created by God is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving. For it is made holy by the word of God and by prayer. Since all things are good, all things must be received with thanks. All things are gifts from the Creator. By giving thanks for all that comes to hand, the Christian correctly intends, uh, he, he gives a character to the things that he is holding in his hands. He's sanctifying. So if you think about an Old Testament priest, could the Old Testament priest use anything in the temple that wasn't sanctified? They had to wash everything. You make the utensils exactly this way. You wash them exactly this way. Don't bring any strange fire in here. Don't burn any weird incense. They had to consecrate everything. And it is no different for you. You are the priesthood of believers, and you still have to consecrate everything. You have to consecrate the things you eat, the things you use, the things you touch, the cars you drive in, the homes you live in, and you do it through thanksgiving. 
This is what it says. For everything created by God is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it is to be received with thanksgiving, for it is made holy. Everything is good, everything is a gift, and everything is to be made holy through the giving of thanks. If you use something as a high priest and it's not consecrated, it defiles your priesthood. You're defiling your priesthood by not giving thanks. Giving thanks, gratitude, is at the heart and center of Christian ethics. It's at the heart and center of Christian liturgical practices. It is a way of life. We think we live our lives and we try to do good, and then occasionally we remember to give thanks to God. Right? Make sure you say grace. Make sure you thank him for that food. Right? We, we, we come here, we sing some praises. This is a praise service. So we come here and we give praise. But how often do we think that, that we are a priesthood that goes into the world and everything in it is good? He said it at the end of his creation. It's all good. And we sanctify it and set it apart by giving thanks for it. So a large part of our priesthood, a large part of our service to this world is to sanctify things through thanksgiving. When is the last time in the presence of your family you thank God for them? That you sanctified them? You're a priest, right? You're supposed to touch and eat and be around things that are clean and you make them clean by giving thanks. When, when's the last time you sat at your desk at work and gave thanks for the desk? For the cubicle. It's kind of weird. But this is what we're, everything, everything is good. And everything is supposed to be, right? We're supposed to give thanks for all of it to God. And so this is my question. If, if, if the United States wants to sit down at a table on Thursday for a day of Thanksgiving, what should that day of Thanksgiving look like? Who should be leading that? Well, I don't want to deal with that because it's, it's full of cynicism. It's full of self-indulgence. It's just a weird day where everybody gets together and watches football. Right? My, my cousin's going to be there, and you've never met my cousin. It's, right? we, we don't want. What does that have to do? Where, tell me in the Bible where it says, I have to celebrate Thanksgiving. Well, you're supposed to do it every day. Every day is a day of Thanksgiving. And so when the nation wants to do it, we should be a people who say, hey, watch us. Watch. Watch. As we give thanks for the kids. Right? But, but it's, like, it's like my brother Keith said today. Well, you know, I mean, give thanks. I mean, what do I have to give thanks for? Right? My marriage is still here from a year ago. I still only have six kids. Right? My ordinary life. I didn't win the lottery. I still drive the same Tahoe. Oh, but the Tahoe is still on the road. Right, there, my, my wife was driving the other day on, on Thursday evening and called me and the car just stopped on the side of the road. It just stopped. So I go down there. I don't know. You know, I, it's my wife, so I open the hood. You know, I'm looking around in there. You know, you bang on something. It's not what Justin does, I'm sure. He actually fixes stuff. But me, I just kind of knock on it. You hear that noise? Well, then it just starts again. Like, okay, well, that's actually even more troubling. So then we drive it to Midas, and, 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 and then we have to go down, a family of, of this many go down to the Civic, the Honda Civic I drive. Yeah, and, and then, you know, then I'm grateful. All, all those other days, it drives us here, it drives us there. We talk about how much room it does have, doesn't have, blah, 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 blah. And yet take it away, 
and, and what happens? See, the problem, we have just as much trouble with any, as anyone else giving, having a day of Thanksgiving because it's, we're out of practice, right? We expect this country to sit down one day a year and suddenly be thankful. Oh, okay, Mike, so we'll lead. But then we find that we're just as out of practice. And so the ingratitude and darkness that covers the land starts here with God's people. This is the Thanksgiving meal that we celebrate every week. We're supposed to go out and sanctify everything we touch and eat and use by giving thanks for it. And then so then when we sit down at the Thanksgiving Day table, we're like, watch this. But we struggle just as much as the world. And I said this a few weeks ago. You, you say hard things to hard people and soft things to soft people. right? Soft hearts, hard hearts. You say hard words for hard hearts, soft Words for soft hearts. And so I'm not going to now go over a list of 32 you-must-give-thanks commands because I don't think it's going to take that. I, I think what it's going to take is simply the indicatives in this point is listing what God has done and how he's done it. And, and I think if we stopped and just thought about it, just wrote it down, just discussed it with the family, I think Thanksgiving would be easy. But we ought to be more... <laughs> consistent with it than once a year. Thanksgiving comes around, the pastor sends out an email, we should be able to just list the things we're thankful for, including myself. I'm not, the classes don't have a list in what I'm about to read. I forgot about us, frankly, trying to get everybody else to do it. Isn't that hilarious? Sermon example right there. We should be more used to this. It should be a practice. But, but let, let's do it. Why should we sit down and pass the plate of pie around twice? This is what the Chekas, this is why the Chekas now, I'm going to read the emails that were sent to me. This is why the Chekas are going to be giving thanks. This is also funny because Mrs. Cheka wrote this, but listen how it starts. Nate says, <laughs> I, love, I love the Chekas. Nate says to give thanks for his dad's health. Keith is his father. He's done almost a complete 180 from two years ago. He calls us regularly, has taken ownership of his finances, and plans to visit more. After his recent, recent back surgery, he is walking every day, driving himself places, goes to church regularly, and is excited about witnessing to people. Keith is a very thankful man. We are also thankful for our home, Margaret, and her growth development, a new van, and Nate's job. This is what Julia wrote. The Leslies are thankful for our healthy children, our financial stability, a good running family car, there's a theme here, a good home, and our family. Praise the Lord for keeping Jared safe after a car accident, freedom to worship our Lord wherever we want. We are thankful that his word, the Bible, is available to us for our church family. And Jerry said that he is thankful for his toys and stars, moon, sun, and crackers. (laughs) I'll drink to that, buddy. The Ferrers wrote this, The Lord answered my prayer to lead me and my family to a church where his word is preached. He has provided over and above what I have have asked for. He has given me and my wife jobs, a place to stay, and so many things besides. The Lord is always good in spite of myself. I am thankful to the Lord for so many things, especially the church family he allowed me to be a part of. 
I thank the Lord for God-fearing and God-loving church leaders and elders at Redeemer who value the power and purity of Scripture and preach it the way Jesus prescribes in his pulpit. It is hard to find truth-driven churches in these end times. I'll drink to that too. Tammy wrote on behalf of the Gambles, and I'm going to include a part maybe she wanted left out. It says, Mike, the temptation is looking for the extraordinary and it's only ordinary, and amen to that. Right? Amen. My parents just celebrated their 45th wedding anniversary, and nothing is more, nothing is more ordinary than marriages and anniversaries. And aren't they glorious? Aren't they glorious? But this is what Tammy said. The Gambles are thankful that God has provided for all of Melissa's two, 2018 needs, their daughter in California, housing, job, friendships. Their friend, Clark Hamilton, who has brain cancer, was granted this year. We are thankful for an ordinary life growing in Christ, thankful to be taking faith counseling classes, thankful to be cultivating our relationships with our adult children. After four years, our son Chris is finishing Bible internship, thankful that God had provided the resources to minister to those in need when the opportunity was presented. Tammy's parents turned 80 this year, and they are healthy, and plus they celebrated 60 years of marriage. Now, that's where the ordinary becomes somewhat extraordinary, 60 years. I hope that's us, Riblin. The Bakken said this, We are thankful, so very thankful, that God has led us to Redeemer for, hung, for hunger and new awakenings in our spiritual lives, for victory in consistent Bible reading program, for direction and provision of a CC group for Neil's schooling this fall, a new fence, selling a vehicle, strength for each day, and faith to see the provision more and more. <coughs> the EBs had a big year. It was a huge year. God provided a buyer for our house and a new home. He upheld us through a brutal moving schedule during the first half of the year while we were also changing schools and jobs. I was commuting two hours a day, and we barely saw each other, and now we are through that unscathed. We are thankful that God is restoring health to our family after a brutal couple of months. And Johnson said, I am so grateful for the surgeon who operated on me and, he, and the healing results of his skill uh, yeah, on me and the healing results of his skill given to him by the Lord. All right? A skillful physician. And half of everyone who graduates from medical school is in the lower half of the class. So it's right here. Woo! Amy Earl said, please add God's grace, bringing me closer to him through various trials this year. Jelena, who had sent out a prayer request, this is what she had to say. I requested prayer for health of my cousin and safety for my brother. Once requested, my brother reached out, and two days later, my cousin made a recovery and was released from the hospital. God definitely had his hand in both cases and reconfirmed for me that even though we may not always recognize his grace in everyday life, when it truly matters, he is there and making his presence known. And here's Doug Brown. I am so grateful that God's providence included my brother's salvation before his appointed day to leave this earth. Last week, I attended my brother's memorial at his home church. Last year, about the same time, I attended his baptism into Christ at the same church. It was wonderful to speak with individuals from this men, his men's group and to hear them testify of his zeal and faithfulness to the group and to church life. Matthew chapter 20 speaks of the master hiring servants to labor in the field. Some hired first thing in the morning, some hired right after the close of day, but all receiving the same wages from their master. Dusty only served a very small part of his life, but our gracious God, through his son's redemptive work, has received him into everlasting life. 
The Lord has been so gracious and kind towards my house that to recount all his mercy and kindness, even if I were to limit it to the last few months, would be impossible to record. Thanks be to the Lord our God for his mercies. His mercies endure forever. So let's keep score here on a number of things. The EBs moved and Johnson moved. The Hewards moved and the Hellickson's moved all well. The Schmitz, the Chekas, the Leslies, and the Mums all had a child. Laura, right? Think of everything she went through to get that job, for those of you who know. She was right there on the edge. It didn't seem like it was going to happen. The poor gal seemed like she was going to have to go through the whole process again. And before she knows it, she's on a plane. She's having uh, the time of her life, tongue-in-cheek. She's very grateful for where she's at, and it is very challenging and sanctifying for her. So Laura had a new job. Amy Earl has a new job. Byron got a new job. The Klosses got a new job. We have three new families coming in from as members. The Hellickson's sold the house, the E.B. sold the house, and we have two new deacons. Another odd thing, I was looking at the church account trying to figure out if we could handle this suite next door, and I, and I saw an interesting fact. We have had exactly the same amount of money come in as go out, plus $300 to us. And it's not like, oh, we barely get by. We've had all this money come in, and we've been able to help uh, other, right? We've helped people who are trying to go into rehab. We've, we've helped Jeep, which is the Joint Eastern European Project. The money has helped people. God has provided for us to provide for others. And for that, we are super grateful. Right? Now, now, this is a small list. I think now you guys could go and sit down and write a much longer one for yourselves. And amen. But what I want as we are thinking about this is thinking about not just Thursday, but a new way of life a time to repent of an old way of doing things and and start doing things in a new way. And the new way is by giving thanks in everything. When this happens again next year, I hope, by God's sanctifying love, that we are all a little bit more practiced at it. Sanctify your family. Sanctify your home. Sanctify your job. Sanctify your car by the giving of thanks. You are the priests of the Lord. You are doing his work, his ministry in this community that you're living in, in this church. And, and so as high priests, don't, don't use unsanctified things. Don't defile your priesthood. Look to him and give thanks because he is good and his ways are beyond our ways and his, he is always faithful. And what has he done that isn't good? Right? I, I Forget President Trump. For this church, this year, I declare a day of Thanksgiving, and it's Thursday. And so, right? if you, if you want to argue on Thanksgiving, argue who gets the best cut. You get the best cut, right? Not yourself. If you want to argue, argue over, no, 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 not me. You take the last piece of pie. No, 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 I'll do the dishes. If you want to argue, don't argue like the world. Outdo one another in preferring one another in gratitude and giving thanks. Right? God is good. He is faithful. Right? And so buy the best food and cook it well. Don't cook, undercook it. Cook it well. <laughs> and, and, when, and if it's not cooked well, give thanks anyway. Right? Buy, go, if you haven't yet, go and buy better wine. Put out the nice tablecloth. Get the kids around and tell them. Look at them in the face and say, I am grateful to God for you because, fill in the blank, God is good. God is faithful. And we should rejoice. And so let us this Thursday, as the rest of the world sits down for whatever reasons they want, let us, this church, declare a day of thanksgiving because we know the the living God who is good. Amen.
Father, we thank you for your word, your sanctifying word. We pray, Lord, that that we would be that you would fill our hearts with cries of mercy, that we would be people who turn to you and look to you and, and see the goodness of your hand, see the goodness of your providence, see the goodness of your love, and that we would not just rejoice one day a year, but that we would rejoice in all things every day. We thank you for your mercy and your kindness. We thank you for um, being here and being our high priest and ministering to us the way that you are. Your faithfulness, Father, is beyond understanding. We thank you for your Son, and in whose name we pray, amen.